And yeah, and so we're going to be doing the covenant statement this morning. Um, today we're going to look at, uh, I think it's C, um, but I could have it wrong. We're, we're doing the, the one that we have uh, priority on the Great Commission. So we're going to read the whole covenant statement, uh, and then we're going to kind of take a closer look at prioritizing the Great Commission in our lives, uh, and then we'll move on with the service after that. Um, so I just want to welcome you this morning, and then we're going to pray together. And okay, I don't, I'm looking around the room, and I hope we have enough members to read the covenant statement, so we're going to do the best we can, and some of you may have to read twice. So um, there's not going to be any volunteers. I'm just going to tell you to read it out loud, and hopefully you do. So let's have a word of prayer, and then we'll get into the covenant statement. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. God, thank you that you have bound us uh, to yourself in a covenant of love through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, through his righteous life, his sacrificial death, and his victorious resurrection. You have made us new. And I just want to say thank you for that. God, you have called us to live differently. And as best as we can, um, with our limited but growing knowledge of you, uh, we have coveted together uh, in order to, to hold each other accountable, in order to encourage each other, and in order to make sure that we're giving you glory with our lives uh, and challenge each other and provoke each other to, to love more, uh, that our love would abound more and more. So Father, um, please be with us today. Help us to consider your word. Help us to consider these promises that we have made to each other according to your word and then help us to examine our lives, to see if we're doing that, and to see how we can grow in that. Thank you, Father. Uh, may you be glorified by everything that goes on today. Uh, may it all be an act of worship that is acceptable to you. And may it be encouraging and strengthening uh, and growing for each other, that we would be more like Jesus Christ than we were yesterday. Thank you. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start on the left side of the room. Um, and I'm just going to call you out, and I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand up and read it, and then we'll move on to the next one. I'll call it the next person. That way I don't get all confused with A, B, C, and D, and F, because it will happen. Um, so, Noel, I'm going to ask you to read the first point. Uh, Evan, I'm going to ask you to read the second. Isabel, I'm going to ask you to read the third. And Liz, do you mind reading the fourth? And then we'll move on from there. All right? Okay.
Jessica, could you read uh, point E? Paul, could you read point F? Thanks. Um, so these are the um, these are the things that we agree to. Uh, when we go through the membership process here at Grace, uh, that we promise uh, to do these things for each other, uh, with each other, um, and we do that in order. Uh, we do that because we believe that this is what it means to follow Christ. Um, these are there. There are certainly other things, perhaps, that we didn't mention. There are nuances within all of them that we, you know, we talk about occasionally, which is why we uh, rotate between the statement of faith. Uh, and the covenant statement at the beginning of every month, because we want to always remind ourselves and each other uh, of these things that we've promised to do together. Because if we're not going to follow through on our promises, you know, we need to recheck who we think we are. <laughs> that we're not going to we're going to make our we're going to give our word and then not carry uh, through on our promises. And if there's something up there that's not scriptural, which that's why we always give the scriptural references, um, then we need to readdress that, right? Um, and so, uh, in looking at the Great Commission, uh, the point about the Great Commission, uh, point C, um, what I want to do any time I look at a covenant statement is break it up into the individual things that we're saying we're doing. Because it's not just one statement and that's it, and there's no, uh, there's no nuance to it, there's no detail, there's no parts, right? So I broke it up into five parts, uh, which I think they're, they're all right there. Um, first, now... In the statement, we have it worded this way, understanding the importance, since we understand the importance of the Great Commission. Um, But I think that there is uh, everything right with examining our understanding of the Great Commission as found in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Um, Let's make sure we understand it, and then let's ponder the importance of it. We're, We're commanded to meditate on Scripture. Um, and so, meditating on Scripture or pondering the importance of implications of meaning of Scripture uh, is one of the ways that, that we live out what it means to be a Christian. We read God's Word, we pay attention to what God words, God's Word says, we ponder the implications of it, then we reflect on what that Scripture is commanding or teaching and reflect on that in our own lives, right? We internalize uh, the truths, and we sort of preach to ourselves, knowing our hearts better than the people around us know our hearts. And we ask ourselves this question, do I understand the importance of the Great Commission? Do I understand that? And we're going to actually look at that passage here today just briefly. We're not going to you know, run through it very with a fine-tooth comb. Um, but understanding that, we will work 
to see the lost saved, baptized, and added to the local church. That means that we, as a church, and as individuals, if you'll you know, look ahead a little bit to point four, um, we're promising to work in order to see this happen. In order to see people saved. There are a ton of lost people, and we are going to make it a goal, a personal goal, and a church goal, a corporate goal, um, to see the lost people evangelized. Right? When we say saved and baptized and added to the church, we recognize that the work of saving is, is not our work. We are responsible for the giving of the gospel, which saves. We are responsible with telling people the truth of Scripture, and we know that the Holy Spirit sometimes enlightens people as they hear the Word of God. We know that the Holy Spirit is always working when people hear the Word of God. They're either actively rejecting it and moving more and more uh, along the path to final rejection and hell, or they're moving along a path which only the Holy Spirit probably knows exactly how it's going to work out. We don't. And even, as, even when you become a believer, you don't really understand all the things that God has done to bring you to the faith that you now uh, enjoy. Um, but we can do those things that have been commanded that we know God saves people through. Romans chapter 10, right? God saves people through the proclamation of the word and the present power of the Holy Spirit to enlighten a dark heart. To, or if you look at the language of Ephesians chapter 2, to bring somebody alive who is dead. Um, so we're going to do the work that we know we can do to see people who are lost saved. And then we're going to baptize them. We're going to teach them the importance of baptism as a commandment, right? Because in Matthew 28, it's commanded, go make disciples of all peoples and baptize them. Uh, when he said that, he still said it and it still meant duck them underwater, um, I don't think he just meant randomly. Obviously, it's in connection with the gospel. Um, and then added to the local church. All of these aspects are extremely important because you know, even creeping into evangelicalism today is this notion that church membership isn't, that really, isn't really a big deal. That um, being part of a, identifying with a local body of believers is not really that big of a deal. If you hear something you don't like, you can just kind of move on. You don't have any obligations to those people. Just by having a covenant statement, we say no. Scripturally, we do have obligations to each other. So much uh, of the New Testament is a letter from an apostle to a local body of believers telling them that they have obligations to each other because of what Christ has done. So, we're going to set, we're saying that when we sign that covenant statement, when we agree to it, when we join this church, we're saying, we're going to make seeing lost people evangelized so they can be saved, and seeing those people who have been saved baptized, and those people who have been baptized added to our local assembly so that they can see, um, for a lot of reasons, but so they can see the obligations that they have to other believers and other believers to them. And they can see the, one of the greatest means of sanctification that God has ordained through his word, and that is the church and being part of a local assembly. Uh, point three, we're going to commit ourselves and others to the teachings of our Lord. Again, we'll look at that in a second, but you'll see it in Matthew 28, right? Um, 
obedience to God is absolutely required. Obedience to God is absolutely necessary. And we're going to commit ourselves to obedience. And we're going to commit others and hold them accountable. That's why we have the one another passages, quite a few of them, uh, in point B. Uh, Point uh, number four, we will strive to organize our personal lives and activities of the church around the Great Commission. And the first half of that is what I'm going to be kind of um, uh, challenging us with today. Are we organizing our personal lives and the activities of the church around the Great Commission? Um, And then five, and then the second half of point four, just to to let you know... um, that as a church, we're always considering what do we need to do together to see the Great Commission accomplished. Because we understand that, that God doesn't call just a bunch of Christian Rambos and individual people who think they're heroes to go and build the church. He, he commands that the church is supposed to evangelize. Not just one person, right? We, we see that evangelism is a gift that's mentioned in the Bible But it doesn't mean that only those people who may or may not have that gift of evangelism should be doing evangelism. It's the job of the whole church. Um, And as we're each individually doing our parts, then evangelism happens. Um, And then point five, we'll purpose to see the gospel message spread here and around the world. Uh, That is both individually and corporately. So um, I really wanted to deal with point uh, four, That's individually, so I'm going to turn these questions, these points from Matthew 28, I'm going to turn them personally, and I want you to think about them personally. Uh, There is absolutely a time for saying, is the church doing what all the church can? But sometimes when we say, is the church doing all it can to accomplish the Great Commission or to do other things that the, the, the Bible commands us to do as a church, I think sometimes we can remove the responsibility from ourselves and say, the church should really be doing this. An example from that, um, in the McDougal House, uh, on the beginning of the month, we're reading through uh, Max Stiles' book, Evangelism. It's one of the Nine Marks books. And, and he says, you know, that there was this, there was this situation where um, a member of the church noticed that there were a lot of uh, Chinese refugees in the city where they were. I think it was in Dubai. But they noticed there was a lot of Chinese refugees and said, hey, the church really needs to do something to reach out to them. And he gave another example that said there was a, a member of a church and, um, and same situation, uh, there were Chinese refugees in their city and she was on a train um, coming back from a, from a trip and she happened to sit next to one of these young Chinese refugees and started talking to her about church and about Christianity about the gospel. She was interested. She never heard about things like this before. Invited her to church, brought her into the, the assembly, invited her to a Christian wedding so that she could witness how, Christians, how a Christian marriage is different from, say, a secular marriage, and you know, invited her to hang out with her and her, her children, and just really made this young girl part of her life. And when she committed her life to Christ, this, this young Chinese refugee, um, after that, she wasn't done with her. She continued to disciple her, And when this young woman got a job in another city, she said, hey, I know some people in that city and reached out to make sure she'd be connected with a local church there. You see the difference 
between, hey, the church should really do something for these people, and, wait, I'm a member of the church. I need to do something for this person whom God has sovereignly put into my life. Right? So the difference between the church should do and I should do, there's really no difference. But you as a member of the church should do and not just always say, okay, well, the church needs to and sit back and wait for somebody else to do it. So that's why I wanted to talk about that individual aspect of four, of point four in our, in our statement. So now I want to kind of briefly look through here and show you how our statement here comes directly from here. Not everything here is covered in our statement, but our statement is based off of this passage. So the first thing, understanding the importance. I think the primary importance when we say, what is the importance of the Great Commission? The primary importance of it is that Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he commanded it. So, if Jesus, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, commands us as disciples of Christ to do something, is it important? Absolutely. The same word that justifies us through faith in him has commanded us to live our lives in a certain way. So, when we talk about the importance of the Great Commission, the number one importance of it is the word of God has given it to us. Jesus has spoken it. A secondary reason that this is so important, and Peter uh, helps us to see this in, in Acts chapter 2, I believe, where he says, there's no other name under heaven whereby men must be saved. There is no other Savior. We're going to talk about that in the main service. There is no other Savior. There's one sacrifice that was made for all time, for all people, that they would be reconciled to God. So the first importance is Jesus told us to. Second is importance is Jesus is the only one who can save anyone. The gospel is the only message that can save anyone. And the third aspect of this, um, I thought about this months ago when I first read Weight of Glory by uh, C.S. Lewis. And he says, everybody you meet, every single person you meet, is either on their way to sanctification and they're going to be you know, somewhere in the throne room worshiping God before, uh, before the throne of Jesus with you, or they're going to be in hell forever. We don't have the right to be indifferent toward anybody we meet. That's us individually, not just people we encounter as we're gathered in the church. In other words, people who walk in the door who may or may not be saved. That is every single person that we encounter. And God has ordained that we are the, the place we are at any given moment. Wherever we are and whoever we're with. Um, this, a, a guy who really, really um, showed this to me was Andrew Smith. And many of you know Andrew Smith. Like His philosophy was like, if I have two minutes to talk to somebody, I'm going to talk to him about Jesus. Absolutely encouraged me. I, I used to think that you could only really have a good conversation as long as you had like 10 or 15 minutes and you could really break it down. It's like, no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use every single opportunity, even if it's just two minutes. Um, we were talking a couple of years ago when he was getting his licensing done for, um, so that he could drive in Morocco. 
he was sitting next to a guy for a long time because there's lots of paperwork and long lines, sharing the gospel with a guy in a government office, waiting to, like, in their version of a DMV. So every single person we encounter is an opportunity. And Paul reminds us we need to make the most of every opportunity, right? We look at the importance of the Great Commission. Jesus, who is the Word of God, commanded it. And every single person we meet is either going to heaven or hell. And so we need to consider that every conversation we have is an opportunity to help them to get where you know they would prefer to go. So, understanding the importance. God commanded it, and, 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 and this is the message whereby men must be saved. There is no other salvation, and everybody's going somewhere. Nobody's just going to disappear. So, the disciples, after Jesus had raised from the dead, they saw him killed, they saw him buried, and they saw him after, when he raised to life. And they understood, he opened their minds to comprehend the scripture, and they worshipped him, even if some of them doubted. And then he came and he said this, all authority has been given to me, so go and make disciples. Now this this part of it, I think, is so critical. Go and make disciples. He's not telling you to make disciples who follow you. He's telling you to make disciples who follow him. That's why he says, teach them to, comm- uh, to obey all I've commanded you. Uh, uh, toward the end there. So we make disciples of all nations. That means anyone. When he says go and make disciples of all nations... Yes, this is underneath uh, the command to go anywhere, right? So as, as a follower of Christ, we have to be willing to go anywhere. Some of you in this room may be in, on the opposite side of the world in a couple of years. We have no idea. But in, at the very least, you need to go and talk to your neighbor and go and talk to the person at the grocery store and go and talk to your family member who is rejecting Christ. And go and talk to the refugees in your city or go talk to the person who's next to you on the bus or in the cab or whatever the case may be. You need to go from yourself to someone else in order to make a disciple of Christ, in order to proclaim the gospel that saves, in order to welcome them into the faith. You need to go. And that requires us to look outside of ourselves. Go and make disciples of all nations. Everybody. I do find it ironic that when Jesus was talking to his disciples, we would be the other nations, right? And somehow, we, sometimes in, in missiology, you see that, that Americans or Europeans have somehow thought that they're the primary ones being talked to and everybody else is the nations. In reality, we're the nations, okay? I mean, unless you happen to be Jewish, we're the nations, um, this idea that, um, that there's a specific designation of missionary that's different from follower of Jesus is erroneous. 
if you are not a missionary in your mindset and in your living, whether or not you're supported by other people, whether or not you're living in a country or a place that's not your home, if you are a follower of Jesus, you had better be a missionary. You had better be going and telling. You better be going and making disciples. You better be going and evangelizing. Teaching others to obey the commands of Christ. There are no free passes. If you're a Christian, you're a missionary. Regardless of how you pay your bills. So, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We already talked to this. I'm not going to go on into baptizing again and the difference between baptizing and sprinkling. Um, we talk about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We understand that the Trinity, even though it is not, there's not a verse that says, okay, this is the Trinity and here's how you teach it. Um, all of Scripture testifies that God has always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. When we're baptizing people in that name. It's helping us to understand that when we baptize people, we're not just trying to get them a decision and say, oh, Jesus can save you. Do you want to be saved? Yes, good, you're a Christian. It's not the same thing, right? I, I've, I've met countless people who say they're Christians, and their answer for being a Christian is, yeah, one time I said a prayer, and then they baptized me, so I'm a Christian. I was talking to um, somebody that I know back in Tennessee, and he said that his pastor assured him that even though he doesn't go to church, doesn't read the Bible, doesn't seek to obey Christ, doesn't pray, doesn't live his life as a Christian, that because he said a prayer and got ducked underwater, he's okay. Not okay. And then surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. It is so comforting to know that Jesus is with us. Is it not? You might not always feel him with you, but he says he's always with us. And so the same word that we depend on for salvation, Jesus, says that he's always with us. That is a great comfort. I don't know if it's a great comfort to you. I hope it is. So, this is really just the point that I wanted you to, to, to come to. After looking at this, how are you individually organizing your life around the Great Commission? And again, I'm going to say this again. Um, I am not asking, I'm not saying that if you're not, you know, a quote-unquote missionary who's being paid to be a missionary, who's in a place and has been sent and all that, that, that you're not organizing your life about, around the Great Commission. Um, I had a great conversation with my dad where he was just kind of walking me through his feelings about feeling like his work was somehow not glorifying to God and it was just an obstacle to him doing the real work, which is telling people about Jesus. That's, that's not okay. Work is, work is not a product of the fall. Work is a way you can glorify God. And, and in your work, just in the work itself, by doing a good job to please God instead of men, then you are glorifying God in your work. But additionally, God has placed you where you are in your job because there are other people that you work with. And because they need to see and hear the truth of the gospel. They need to hear the truth of the gospel from you in any opportunities that you have to tell them. And they need to see the truth worked out in your excellent work that you did to glorify God. So you see, in both of those ways, you're glorifying God and you're fulfilling the Great Commission. 
provided that you're actually opening your mouth and talking to people about Jesus. Nobody gets the gospel by osmosis. So how am I organizing my life around the Great Commission? Another thing I want to speak to is I, I, I have heard this from different people that, well, you know, I'm so busy with my kids at home. I've heard this from women. I'm busy with my kids at home. I don't have time to be doing that. Uh, again, I'm going to call back to Max Stiles' book. He says, if we measure evangelism by the rate of success, who's a good evangelist? Then mothers are the best evangelists ever. They have the best track record of evangelism. So what I don't want is for us to say, oh, nothing I do is about you know, the Great Commission because I don't have time for this and that and the other. I don't go door to door. Um, they called it like, I think they called it soul winning Saturdays at this one church in, uh, in the South. Um, a guy I knew went there. I, n- I never visited the church, but evangelism is not something you do for two hours on a Saturday morning or afternoon. When you go out knocking on doors, it's okay to go out knocking on doors. That can be evangelism too, but that's not all evangelism is. Evangelism is always being ready to give somebody a, a reason for the hope that you have in Jesus Christ and then doing it. So whether you are uh, a person who has a full-time job or whether you are a person who is in ministry, like exclusively, or whether you are uh, a mother or whether you are, whatever you are, you're supposed to do that as somebody who, dis- who makes disciples of Jesus Christ. You're supposed to use your conversations, whether it's with uh, an eight-year-old teaching him to tie his shoes, or whether it's with a teenager teaching him why he needs to be careful about the people he hangs out with, or whether it's, uh, how old are you, AJ? 10? 11? I thought you were 10. Or whether it's with an 11-year-old working with him in his, in his schoolwork. All of that is an opportunity for you to have your life organized around the Great Commission. Going back to the passage, thinking about the importance of this command to go and make disciples and understanding that everybody we interact with, your child of any age, your coworker of any age, the store clerk, the person sitting next to you at the DMV, I think they have still have to be six feet away, but you could still have a conversation at six feet. Whoever it is, they're the people that you need to see. This is my target audience. These are the people from whom I will seek to make disciples. The finished work is up to God. But he has given us ordinary means to do it through. The proclamation of the gospel, obedience to his word, challenging each other to do that. So I would just caution you to ask this question. How am I organizing my life around the Great Commission? And if you're doing you know, certain things, this is not an opportunity for you to check a box and say, I'm all good. In Philippians 1, Paul says, I want you guys to abound more and more in love. You know, we, we want to, to grow in having our lives organized around the Great Commission. So at the end of our lives, we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. We want to honor Christ. I'm sure that when you think about all that Christ has done for you, that you want to honor him with every single moment, every conversation, every opportunity to witness. So, 
How are we organizing our lives around the Great Commission personally? How can we increase in that? Um, If you're convicted and you think, I need to grow in this. I need to do this better. Join the club. I've been thinking that ever since I read this and started thinking about it. Um, But let's all encourage each other to not stop there and walk away, but to ask God how to do it and then to go and practice. All right? So let's pray. Um, Let's respond appropriately uh, to Scripture and ask God to help us to be people who really do organize our lives around the fulfilling of the Great Commission. Let's pray.